Bill, thank you. Thanks. Man, it's great to be here. And this uh, ministry, Nicaragua, I guess the church has been doing that for over 13 years. And I guess six church buildings have been built through your church. Think about the impact that a church can have in a community. It lasts longer than a week or two weeks. It'll keep going on for maybe 50 years, 100 years till the Lord comes back. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. I mean, this is an awesome ministry. Heck, I want to go. This sounds great. But uh, anyway, we've been in France for the last four and a half years, and I love coming to Gateway because this is such a beautiful part of the world. I mean, the gorge is amazing. It's incredible. And I live in St. Helens, and we have our very own paper mill there. And so it's like being back at home. It's super cool. And when we came back this summer for our furlough, uh, Jackie and uh, some others organized a bunch of stuff for us to use during this last year. And so most of the stuff we eat off of and use and sit down came from Gateway, from your church. So thank you for being a part of that. And then lastly, I want to acknowledge uh, Ken Warren. When I was at Multnomah School of the Bible, Ken Warren was my uh, evangelism professor, and I took a class from him. So it's so cool to see him again. Like, it's like he hasn't aged. It's really kind of weird. So I guess if you're an evangelist, you just don't get old. One more reason to share your faith. All right. Well, hey, uh, I want to talk a little bit about my family, because without them, we really would have no ministry in France that would be that significant. And uh, I thought, better than talking about them, maybe I could just show them to you. Haven't done all your Christmas gifts yet? Why not the gifts? They're the perfect addition to any meal. You can take them anywhere. <laughs> Baguettes are fun for the whole family. Stacking. Painting. Baguettes are great for babies. Playing. Dancing. And what's better on a cold winter's night than a nice warm baguette? So this Christmas, give them what they really want. So remember, it's not too late to start thinking about that special Christmas gift. Well, this is our daughter. She wasn't born when we made that video. This is Barbara. She's born in October. And Barbara is named after my wife's mother, Barbara, and then after my mom, Martha. So Barbara, Martha. And after five awesome boys, we finally got an awesome girl. So we're excited about her. Well... We are missionaries in France, and like I said, we've been there for four years. We live in what's kind of a, a rougher neighborhood, and one day I was walking outside of our apartment, and I looked, and I saw a car with an interesting paint job. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Get a little closer, and I realized that's not a paint job. This car has been destroyed in a fire. And every summer, at the exact same place, there would be a car burned down just right there. And I'd look in the news about it, hey, what happened? And usually there wasn't much that would uh, be talked about it. Well, a little bit further from where the car is burned down is a gambling establishment where people can place bets on tracks and do all kinds of stuff. And there's always guys standing around outside the gambling establishment, and they're just kind of looking at people. And I used to wonder, like, what do these guys do? Do they work at night and then they don't have to sleep during the day? Because they're always there, just standing outside. And it would kind of creep me out. And so I tell my kids, because we'd have to walk past this gambling place every day on the way to school. I'd say, kids, I don't want you to speak any English 
until we get to school, okay? No English, just French, or don't talk at all. But of course, little kids, they can't not talk for, you know, a couple minutes. So they'd always say stuff in English, and I'd kind of, you know, freak out and just pretend like I'm not going to respond and just keep going, pushing the stroller past them. But thankfully, in France, nothing bad ever happened to us. We never were attacked. We were never uh, assaulted. Really, th- things were put, went pretty well for us. But one day, on a Saturday, we're on a walk with our family. We pass the gambling establishment, and all of a sudden, a bunch of people come out of the gambling place, and two guys start running up a hill. And I thought, wow, I bet they made a bet. They probably put some money on the table in the bar, and they're going to see who's the first one they make it to the top of the hill, and they'll get the money. And so everybody else is coming out to cheer them on. But then my wife noticed something. She said, uh, Blaine, how come they're beating that guy up over there? And so one of the guys ended up tackling the other guy. And as you look closely, you could tell he was an undercover policeman. And he's trying to arrest somebody. Well, the guys from the gambling astonishment, I guess this was their job, they went over there and they started kind of attacking the police, trying to grab them and trying to make things difficult. Well, the police didn't like that. They brought some friends. And so the friends had billy clubs, the other policemen, and they started hitting the back of the guy's legs to get him to fall down. Well, this just made the crowd mad, and more and more people came. Pretty soon, there's a small riot happening, and the police are not stupid, so they pull out their guns, and one guy had a rifle, and he starts pointing it right into the crowd. And that's when I decided, you know, as a good father, it's probably good for us to leave. Let's go to our favorite uh, restaurant now, McDonald's. So we uh, continued on and just left, but I counted over 20 police cars racing down to the scene of that event. And 45 minutes later, we came back down to go back home, and there was nobody there except for the guys hanging outside the uh, gambling establishment. They're always there. But everybody else was gone. And I looked in the newspaper. I looked on the Internet. I didn't find any information about a small riot that had happened just a block from our apartment. There was no information. And I feel like in France, that's kind of what it's like. There's things that happen there that you don't know about, that you never hear about as an American. And one of the things that we don't know about is that less than 1% of the people in France would be considered believers in Jesus Christ. The majority of French people are either atheists, they don't believe in God at all, and will state there is no God, or they're agnostics. Well, there could be something out there, but I don't know what it is. In fact, they say, statistically, there are more Christians per capita in Saudi Arabia, the home of Mecca, than there are in France. But God is doing some cool things in France. In fact, most churches in the Paris area where we lived are are pretty much filled to capacity. And so the church we were at decided, hey, let's build a bigger building. And so they found an old warehouse, and we worked with them to transform that warehouse into a place of worship. And it could seat 600 people, which is probably the largest evangelical church in all of France. And on the very first day that the building was dedicated, nearly 600 people came and filled up the building. And so that's a cool thing that God is doing. Because normally in France, the average church probably has 30 people or less on Sunday morning. And it's just hard to find spaces to meet. But when people do, God uses it and people are coming to Christ. So we're grateful that Gateway would be working with us to reach people in France. So thank you for partnering with us. Well, I talked to Pastor Bob, we communicated, and he said I could preach about anything I wanted to except the book of Luke. (laughs) So I had a pretty good sermon on the book of Luke, but he said, nope, can't do it. So uh, I decided I wanted to preach upon grace. So let's look at a couple uh, quotes about grace. This is from David Reagan. Grace is God's unmerited favor. That is, grace is God doing good for us that we do not deserve. In the Bible, grace and mercy are like two heads of the same coin. Mercy is God withholding judgment and evil that I deserve. Grace is God giving me blessing or good that I do not deserve. 
Justin Holcomb. Grace is the most important concept in the Bible, Christianity, and the world. John Stott. Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Here's an acronym. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Now the word grace in the New Testament comes from the Greek word charis, which means favor, blessing, or kindness. So if you get the idea, grace is kind of a good thing. It's kind of significant. In fact, I would say that grace is what separates Christianity, true faith, from all the religions of the world, is the concept of grace, that God does it all, and we accept what he's done. Well, here is my definition of grace for this morning. Now, if you have your bulletin, you'll notice inside there are some notes. Now, I'm the kind of person, I get distracted easily. And so I like it when there's some notes. And this is my favorite kind of notes. You get the fill in the blanks. So it gives you something to do. And so you have to try to guess what the words are before I get there. And then also, it's kind of cool if you can actually get all the blanks in and have a completed sheet. So if you've got some compulsive disorders, this is really kind of a fun thing. Can I get all the blanks filled in by the end of the sermon? But it really does help you pay attention. And, and so if you would, try to fill in these little blanks. It'll, I think you'll get more out of it. Okay, so grace is something awesome that is given to you that you do not deserve. Specifically in Galatians, grace refers to the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ and a perfect relationship with God. A perfect relationship with God means there's nothing you can do to make it better. I was listening to this podcast about some students from the Bronx in a very poor area. And some of these students worked really hard. They were very intelligent. They got great grades. And they were able to make it into some Ivy League schools and some other colleges in the area. And if these students could complete college, potentially they could get out of the Bronx and get a pretty good job. But most of them would never make it. They'd make it in the college, but they would just give up. And the number one reason is they'd get to a place like, this is Harvard, this is the canteen, and they would get there and they'd feel like, I do not belong here. I'm not good enough to be here. All these other people, they grew up this way, but not me, man. This is so uncomfortable. Everybody's staring at me. I'm kind of weird compared to these people. And eventually they'd drop out. Even though they had special counseling to try to address this, eventually it was just too much. They just felt like, I do not belong here. I am not good enough. And I feel that sometimes in our relationship with God, we can feel the same way. We can feel like, I don't deserve a perfect relationship with God. I'm just not good enough. I need to do something else to really please God. It's not enough that Christ died for me. I I gotta do something more. But I want to tell us today that we can experience a great relationship with God based on grace. Another definition, the gospel. Being justified by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ who gave himself up for our sins to rescue us from this evil age. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of Galatians, because that's the only book we're going to look at this morning is Galatians. This is Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. And I'm actually going to cheat and start with verse 3 a little bit. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And then 2.16. And yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ, and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Which brings us to our next definition, the works of the law. What are the works of the law? Well, basically, that would be keeping all 
the commandments of the Old Testament law, and doing everything that the law says to do. Now, most of us Americans, non-Jewish people, we don't really have a problem with this. In fact, we say, you know what? I could work on Saturday. That's not a big deal. Anybody work on Saturday yesterday? Come on, anybody work around the house, like mow the lawn, clip the weeds? That, that's working on Saturday. You would have lost it. You just, you can't keep the Old Testament law. You messed up. Now, did anybody in the last three years plant a fruit tree and then eat some fruit from it? Because you need to wait at least four years according to Old Testament law. So if you planted some kind of fruit tree, you ate the fruit with less than four years, you broke the law. Now this is where we're going to get everybody right here. Bacon. <laughs> Anybody have bacon and eggs this morning? You just broke the law. You didn't make it. How about people wearing two types of fabric from two different types of thread woven together like polyester and cotton? Well, this is an extreme example, and we can see why that's sin. But for most of us... Uh, <laughs> You know, just having a blend would mean you couldn't make the Old Testament law. And uh, this guy here is keeping Old Testament law. He did not shave the sides of his head. You see that? So he's good. The rest of us, sorry, too bad. And so we can, you know, we look at that and we say, you know what? I could see how keeping Old Testament law would not get me closer to God. I could understand that. Except, let's look what Galatians chapter uh, 5.14 says. Let me read it for you. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment. Namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says the whole Old Testament law summed up simply by loving your neighbor as yourself. Now that's doing good. I can understand how that would make somebody closer to God. Being a good person, looking out for those people that need, that, uh, need something, uh, old people, children, uh, people in need, like helping them, that's a good thing to do. And by, the Bible says that is the sum of Old Testament laws. Keep loving your neighbors yourself. Now I can see how someone could think, if I'm a good person, God will love me more, and that'll be enough to get me closer to God. All right, grace buster. This is our last definition. A grace buster is someone who breaks grace by adding additional duties to it. A grace buster says things like this. They say, Jesus paid it all, so I must pay him back by being a good person. You might have Christ, but you also need this special experience to really get close to God. God loves you unconditionally, so be sure to keep all the conditions. I know that God loves me, and I believe that Christ died for me, but somehow I feel that God is mad at me, that I'm just not a good enough person to make him happy. These are the thoughts of a grace buster. Well, the reason why I wanted to preach about grace this morning is because in my life, in the last few months, I've been thinking more about grace and been listening to sermons about grace. And the more I think about how God loves me just the way I am, that I'm accepted before him, I feel so blessed. I feel that God has given me so many awesome, wonderful things. And yesterday was my birthday, and I've never had this thought before ever. But I thought, you know, this is my birthday. I'd like to give something to someone else because I've been totally blessed. And so my wife and I, we agree that each of us give about 40 bucks to, to buy a present or something. So I decided I want to give some money to someone else. So I have a friend on Facebook who has another friend. And my friend said that this guy has epilepsy and he needs a watch that will help him know when a Caesar's going to come so that he can be in the right position and stuff. And so I decided to give some money to the cause. I don't know the guy, but I've been shown so much grace. I just want to give it away. I'm not trying to have better status before God. I'm not trying to impress my friend. I didn't even tell him. I just did it anonymously. But I just thought, I've been blessed. I want to bless others. And that's the way grace works. 
Well, why don't we pray here before we actually get into our, the meat of our sermon here. Dear Father, I pray today that you would speak to the people that are listening, Father, that you would encourage them to live in grace, Father, to live by grace, to live by faith. And Lord, I pray that it would be your words they would hear, that they would hear your voice, and the Holy Spirit would be convicting, would be uh, confronting people that have had false beliefs, that they would recognize some places where they need to change. I pray that you would do that. And I confess today that I have nothing to say on my own, and that Jesus Christ is in authority in this place here today, and that is in his name we meet. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the New Testament book of Galatians was probably the very first book of the New Testament to be written. It was written approximately at 48 AD, just 15 years after Christ died and was resurrected. And so I feel that God said, hey, there's a big problem, and it needs to be addressed. And that's what the, Gal- the book of Galatians is about, is about people trying to do other things to please God other than grace. Number one, becoming a grace buster can seem so right. Even an angel might try to convince you that you have to add more to grace. Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be condemned in hell. And so Paul says, you know what? Even if you had a special vision or a revelation or an angel appeared to you and it looked so right to do something more to please God, to add something to grace, some kind of works, don't believe in, believe them. Now, if you think for a moment, some of the major false religions of the world were started because someone said an angel appeared to them or they had a vision. But Paul says, even if an angel appeared to you, don't believe them, that this is the true gospel, that Christ does it all alone. Number two, Being a grace buster is dangerous and horrible. Paul says twice that grace busters should be condemned to hell. Now, I read the first time in Galatians 1, but this is Galatians 1, 9. And as we've said before, and I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be condemned to hell. Paul is very serious about grace busting. It's not enough to say, well, it's kind of okay for me to kind of feel like I have to do something extra to have God's full uh, pleasure. I need to do something more to really please God. No, you can't. And you shouldn't have that attitude. It's dangerous. Number three, being a grace buster makes sense to non-believers. You know, to the world, this makes a lot of sense. You know, a good person loving their neighbor, helping kids, being a mentor at school, uh, planting daisies in the old widow's yard, those are wonderful things. God will bless and reward that person, and God loves them more than this guy who's an alcoholic and just accepted Christ five minutes ago. But that's not the truth. Galatians 1.10. And am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. And so even though the world might think it makes sense that you have to add something to grace, that's not right. This is from a website from a major cult that is very prominent here in the United States. Effort is required on our part to receive the fullness of the Lord's grace. You know, the the false religion says, you must reach up halfway, and God will reach down halfway and meet you in the middle. You do your part, God will do his part, and then you'll be saved, and then you'll have a great life. But that's not how grace works. Number four, becoming a grace buster is so persuasive. The apostle Paul became one, and so did the man known as the son of encouragement, Paul's best buddy, Barnabas. Galatians 2, verses 13 and 14. 
and the rest of the Jews joined with him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray with them by their hypocrisy. But when I saw what they were doing, not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, which is another name for Peter, in front of them all, if you, although you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you try to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul or Peter had fallen into the idea that, hey, if you really want to please God, you better be circumcised, and you better start keeping the Old Testament law. And Peter, this is the Apostle Peter, he walked on water for a little while. He lived with Jesus for three years. He saw Jesus die. He saw the resurrected Christ. Peter wrote books of the Bible. If Peter can be deceived by being a grace buster, then surely I can, and surely you can. Number five, grace busting doesn't work. No one will be justified by the works of the law. Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So here's a little quiz that was in an actual church. It looks something like this in a bulletin, and it's how good are you this week? So we're going to take a little quiz. For every one you get right, you get 10 points. Let's see how you're doing. All right, number one, did you go to the church this week? Well, obviously you did. You're right here, so give yourself 10 points. Did you read the Bible every day? Just say you did 10 more points. Did you pray every day? Did you say, dear God, thanks for the food? 10 more points. Very good. Uh, did you invite a friend to come with the church? 10 more points. Uh, did you sing all the songs? Did my kids... They didn't sing all the songs. They don't get 10 points. But I hope you do. So 10 points. Uh, Did you prepare your heart for worship? That's a good thing to do. 10 more points. Did you bring money for the offering? Now, I'm not saying did you put it in, but did you bring the money just in case? 10 more points. Did you take notes during the sermon? I hope you did because I made it easy. And lastly, did you apply the sermon to your life? Now, that's a great thing. So 10 points for everything you got. Let's do the scoring here. All right. If you got 100 points, you're perfect. Wow, you're doing super good. You've made it. 90 points. Well, you're almost there. 80, keep on working. 70, uh uh-oh, you're slipping. 60 points, you're an emergency case. Now, what was wrong with that quiz? Anybody, what was wrong with it? There was only nine questions. That's right, it's impossible to get 100 points. You could never do it. And that's what grace busting is all about. When you try to add the grace, you will never make it because God's standard is perfection. No matter how good your life is, it's never going to be enough to please God. It is only by grace, only by accepting what Christ has done. And Christ, God sees Christ's righteousness in us, on us, then we can have accept, acceptance before God. Number six, all of our efforts to obtain status with God were destroy, destroyed on the cross. Now, we have Christ's righteousness. We have Christ's status. Galatians uh, 2, 19 and 20. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul is saying, he said, hey, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was able actually to keep the Old Testament law, tithing, even the herbs of the garden. I did all that stuff. I didn't eat bacon. I mean, Paul was doing it all. But he says, you know what? I threw all my righteousness, all those things I did, I threw them away and I crucified them, crucified them on the cross. That life is gone. The life and the righteousness I have now is only because of what Jesus did. I've, and I've taken his righteousness upon me and that's my new life. 
Now this summer, we came back from France, and Abigail's parents gave us a car. Imagine this car could talk, and the car might say something like this. Hello. Um, I'm working really hard to be a good car for Blaine and Abigail because I really want to be their car. I want to be good enough so that I could be the car that belongs to their whole family. I'm trying so hard to be a good car, not to break down, to run well so that I could be good enough to be their car. How stupid is that? That's our car. We signed a title. It belongs to us. It doesn't matter if the car breaks down. It doesn't matter if the car only seats seven when we need eight seats. It's still our car. It doesn't change by how good the car acts or performs. I don't know if any of you saw the NFC Championship game this year. In overtime, Russell Wilson went back through beautiful spiral. Jerome Kirsch, who hadn't caught a pass all, game, pass all game, came down with a touchdown pass that won the NFC Championship game, and they won the whole game. Now, probably you were looking at that play, and you probably said to yourself, look at the ball. Look how brown the ball is. Wow, what a wonderful oblong shape. That ball made that play. That was just the best ball there ever was. What a great ball. Wow. No, you said, Russell Wilson, he threw it perfectly. Jerome Curse finally got his act together and made a catch. Wow, that was so cool. The ball was there, but the ball was being acted upon. It wasn't the ball's uh, fault that they won, unless they're the Patriots. Um, the ball did the work. The ball did not do the work. And so um, we will not talk about the game after this, because that's not important today. All right. Number seven. Grace busting, if grace busting worked, then Christ died for nothing. Galatians 2.21. I do not set aside God's grace, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Now, we are in France to tell people about Jesus Christ because there is no other way for those people to come to know the Lord. It doesn't matter how good they are, how awesome the socialistic system is, and it takes care of lots of poor people. If it did, that doesn't really matter. It's not going to get them into heaven. Only through faith in Christ. They have to have the gospel. Number eight. For the believer, grace-busting defies logic. It really doesn't make much sense for the believer. Uh, Galatians 3.1 You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. Verse 3 Are you still so foolish? Although you began with the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by human effort. And so imagine, if you will, uh, our son Samuel was born in France in the hospital at Jocelyn two years ago. And imagine he comes out of the womb, uh, I cut the cord, and then I say, you know what? Doctors, you've done a wonderful job. Samuel's here now. We've got our baby boy. My wife seems to be doing okay at this moment. We're all going to go home right now. We've had enough medical care, and we're done with the medical profession. It's just going to be me being the main guy to take care of my wife after the birth and my son for the rest of his life. I mean, how stupid would that be? I'm not a doctor. I don't know these things. I need the care. Even after the boy was delivered, we needed the medical profession to help us. But somebody who's a grace buster says, hey, it's cool Christ saved me. It's cool that he died on the cross for my sins, but I'm good now. From now on, I'm going to please God by my good behavior, by doing good works, by trying to be nicer than my rotten neighbor. No, that's not going to work. Number nine, grace busting is seductive because it relies on human effort. Galatians 3.3 again. Are you so foolish, although you began with the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by human effort? 
I mean, it just, it makes sense to us as humans. You know, it's cool that I've been saved and I've been forgiven, but now I want to please God by teaching Sunday school or by going to the work day, by working harder than everybody else, by giving and giving until until my guilt just keeps piling up and I'm just driven by guilt because I just got to do it. I just need to do it to please God because I'm a Christian and that's what they expect Christians to do and I have to do it. But that's human effort and it's never going to work. It's never going to be enough. Number 10, Grace busting minimizes our understanding of God. Galatians 5.3. Sorry, 3.5. Does God then give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you've heard? In 1755 in Lisbon, there was a major earthquake that happened outside of the city. It happened on November 1st. November 1st is a major Catholic holiday. And so there are literally thousands of people inside church buildings at 10 a.m. when the earthquake happened. And all those people in the buildings, well, the roofs came down and killed them, and they died. And so many people said, you know what? God is not real. These were righteous people. They were, trying, they were doing the things that God said, and then they died. God didn't keep his part of the deal. I did good. God's supposed to bless me. These guys in Lisbon did good, and then God didn't help them. So maybe God's not really real. But that is minimizing God. God doesn't work that way. He's not a vending machine. You don't put in three good works and you get a Snickers bar full of wonderfulness. That's not God. He works by grace. He allows good things to happen to bad people. He allows bad things to happen to good people. We don't know his grand plan, but he's not a God that two plus two equals whatever. No, he's a God that I give you infinite awesomeness that you don't deserve, and that is a God of grace. Number 11, remember that Abraham was not a grace buster. He was a believer. Galatians 3.6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So even Abraham, in the Old Testament, Paul saying, all you Old Testament law followers, even our patriarch Abraham was saved because he believed, not because of the works of the law. When I was 25 years old, I was a youth pastor, and before I became a youth pastor in college, I had done a lot of whitewater rafting on the Deschutes outside of Maupin. I had a, a friend who had a bunch of rafts, and every Saturday, we would go and raft the river. And since it was mainly just uh, my friend and about three or four other guys, we would go down the stretch of the river multiple times. We'd just five or six times during the day. I mean, just lots of times. We'd go at night when the moon was full. I went the day after Christmas when there's snow on the ground. I mean, we went rafting a ton of times. And mainly just this section and mopping that lots of people do. And so when we became a youth pastor, I thought, what a great deal. I'd love to take kids down that river. That'd be a lot of fun. So I knew another youth pastor that had some rafts. He had some life jackets and he let me use them for no cost at all. Uh, So I thought, that's pretty cool. So I had the rafts, I had the life jackets, and I had all these kids. I'd let them get all the life jackets first, and I'd get whatever was left. And sometimes I would end up with a life jacket that was maybe missing one of the flotation devices or just really wasn't working very good. But I wasn't worried. I've been over this raft, this river, many, many times, hundreds of times. I'm a great river rafter. I'm in great shape. And so the last trip down the river for our group that day, I had four guys with me that had all been on the swim team and several of them were certified lifeguards. And so I said, I have this wonderful idea, which was actually a very stupid, immature, dumb idea, but it seemed wonderful at the time. What we're going to do, when we get to that point right there where the water's going up, we're going to pull on the back, front of the life jacket. I'm going to pull on it, and we're going to flip the raft. It's going to be so awesome and so fun. So we get to that point on the river, and I pull back on the front of the boat, and the raft flips over, and everybody goes flying everywhere. And I think this is the coolest thing ever. It's so fun, except I have a bad life jacket on. 
And so normally I'm used to be able to kind of swim over these waves and go over it, but I'm going kind of through the waves because the life jacket's only carrying me so far. And pretty soon I get stuck in a whirlpool, in a suck hole, and I'm spinning around, and literally the water is about this deep, and I can just barely get my mouth and nose up to breathe. And every once in a while, I will swirl around close to the big waves, and they'll go over my head again. And it's, it's pretty scary for me. I'm, I'm very freaked out. And I'm working as hard as I can. Everybody else has floated on past. And this part of the river, there's no place for people to watch. There's nobody there. I'm by myself in a suck hole. If someone came by in a raft, they may not even see me, because just a little bit of my face is holding up above the water. And I was getting so tired. And so finally, in desperation, I just said, Lord, help me, save me. And at that moment, the water released me. All of a sudden, I just floated out of there, and I went to the side, and I was okay. And I caught my breath, and I was fine. But I feel that's what grace is like. You work as hard as you can to try to please God, to do all these things. But until you say, Lord, help me, it's all about Christ. You're never going to experience true grace. Number 12. Grace busters always limit who can be saved, but the true gospel is for all nations. Galatians 2.12. Until certain people came from James, he had been eating with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he stopped doing this and separated himself because he was afraid of those who were pro-circumcision. So Peter, again, was, de- was deceived. He's like, you know, those guys, they're not circumcised, they're not true Jews, they're not good enough. Only us people that are circumcised, that keep Old Testament law, we're the ones that can experience God's goodness. And that's what cults do. They say, hey, look, if you really want to be a good Christian, you better use the King James Version, because those other versions are full of lies, and you're not really going to experience God's fullness, His greatness. You know, you're not really saved because you're using a wrong Bible. Or, you know, if you're really going to be a good Christian, then you have to go on this special thing and have this special spiritual ability. Otherwise, you're probably not really a Christian. See, they always want to limit who can be saved based on performance, based on works. But the true gospel is for all people. Even the people of France. This is an ice skating rink uh, in the winter in, in France. And these kids, every single one of them, if they accepted Christ as their Savior and believed in him through faith, all of them would be saved. And I believe that the gospel is for all people everywhere. And that's why we went to France. And that's why your church helps us in France. That's why your church helps in Nicaragua. Because all people can have a chance to hear the gospel. And all that respond through faith will be saved. Well, I want you to think back to when you were a new Christian and walking into church maybe for the first time. What was your attitude like? Well, this is Michael Jr., and he's going to talk about what it was like for him. I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church, and I walk in, and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know. You want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right, then they explained to me, right, your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't, no, I don't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know what to pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good and she must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. She was like, Dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third books of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. 
Did you sense the freedom? He's like, I just want to pray to God, man. I don't care what people think. I just want to please the Lord. And that's what it's like. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher or if you're, uh, you know, Pastor Bob preaching sermons. God loves you just as much as if you just sit in the pew and listen to sermons and pray. Or don't even pray. Just sit there. He loves you just the same. There's no favoritism with God. We can never earn greater status with God based on our works. He loves us just the way we are because of Christ. Christ is perfect, and we have his righteousness through faith. It can't get any better. My son Samuel is two years old, and he has this thing he likes to say, and it's, with two, with two, daddy, with two. With two means, daddy, with you. I want you to pick me up and hold me. And so I'll be in the kitchen and say, with two, daddy, with two. That means pick him up and hold him and give him a little loving. I'm in the living room. With two, daddy, I pick him up. It doesn't matter where we're at. Samuel says, with two, I pick him, I hold him, I love him. Now, I tell you, I get no material benefits from Samuel. In fact, I'm the one in the morning that cleans his, uh, changes his dirty diapers. And sometimes the poop in the diaper gets outside the diaper and goes all over his clothes. I'm the one that changes him. I'm the one that gives him the food. He never makes me dinner. He never makes me breakfast. I do everything for him. When I go outside, I have to watch Samuel more closely than my other kids because he's two and he'll go into the street or he'll fall off a cliff or something. He's a two-year-old. He does two-year-old things. But yet, I love Samuel so much. It doesn't matter to me. And that's exactly the way God, even more so, feels about you. He loves you no matter who you are. He wants you to say, with two, with two, Lord. He wants you to experience him like a father to just love you and to love on you no matter where you're at in life and that's because of grace that our works will never cause us to have greater standing before God because Christ has already put us at the highest place possible All right, Josh and Rachel are going to lead us in one more song and I hope that as we sing this song that you will think that this is God singing to you and you can sing it as well but as though he were the one that were uh, singing it to you